Aguilar, and this is your Calls Media Roundtable. We begin today's show by discussing a new investigation by the Levers Amos Barshad called Inside the Israel Lobby's New $90 Million War Chest. Barshad writes, in the wake of the October 7th attacks on southern Israel, the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, or APAC, has reaped $90 million in a fundraising haul, according to confidential internal documents reviewed by the Lever. APAC is using its war chest to influence the 2024 election and lobby against a ceasefire in Gaza. Just yesterday, a group of 13 Jewish Congress members, including Dan Goldman and Jamie Raskin, called on President Biden to facilitate a temporary ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. They're calling for a return of all the hostages, an end to the violence and pervasive suffering in Gaza, as well as the rocket fire on Israel from Gaza and a massive surge in humanitarian aid for Gaza. Amos Barshad is a senior reporter for The Lever, a nonpartisan reader-supported investigative news outlet that holds accountable the people and corporations manipulating the levers of power. He is the author of No One Man Should Have All That Power, How Rasputins Manipulate the World. Hi, Amos. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, as we always do on our Friday shows, we like to talk about a piece of reporting that really stood out. So what caught your attention this week? Yeah, this is a a bit of an older one, but I thought about it again as a ceasefire and and hostage release conversations go on. It's a piece from Jewish Currents um, from November, and it's uh, uh, by Maya Rosen. uh, And it's a great piece kind of capturing um, the state of mind in Israel and the idea really that historically uh, Israel has made uh, releasing hostages, you know, doing all that it can to get back hostages, you know, a paramount responsibility. And uh, it really explores in, in, in kind of like chilling detail to me the idea that, that that since October 7th, the country has moved away from that point of view. Um, I think we've seen that now, you know, we're talking, this piece was released in November, we're now in February, you know, there has been one round of hostage um, and prisoner uh, swap, but we're still, they seem stuck on, on another round. And, um, and um, yeah, just uh, just kind of a you know ha- so- somewhat harrowing the idea that there's political uh, points of view, you know, things that are that are brought forth as being more important than uh, than returning uh, hostages back. Um, you know, it's 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 kind of a kind of interesting in light of everything that's uh, that's been going on that and that we've seen um, to kind of get the understanding from inside uh, inside the, the country. So what else came out in that piece? What explains the fact that there are still 134 hostages in Gaza that have not been released? What explains that? I think, you know, and I'm curious uh, for how people have kind of perceived um, the country since then. And maybe they're learning more about the current makeup of the of the ruling coalition. But, you know, the the the. You know, in the simplest terms, you know, there's a very, very extremist right wing government um, and they're within that forces and voices that are saying, you know, that they don't care about the hostages effectively, that they're more important things. And to them, those more important things are, you know, reoccupying Gaza, recreating settlements there, you know, the idea that. Uh, they're going to expand out, you know, this is, um, you know, Jewish religious fundamentalist voices uh, within the government that are, 
yeah, you know, more or less in, in explicit terms saying we're, 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 um, you know, we're abandoning the hostages and, and you know, we're abandoning our fellow countrymates and, and, in the uh, a greater cause, a greater thing that they're working towards. Um, there's even some people whose actual children were taken, and they were saying, you know, we are uh, we are ready to to you know effectively you know give up on them. Um, you know, when you see that, um, yeah, it's a little it's a little uh, um, concerning <laughs> to understate it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think, uh, if more people now are taking a look at the uh, current makeup of the, of the, of the coalition, the ruling government of Israel and seeing the, the very, very kind of extremist, um, right wing, uh, point of view that it holds, I think this is a, this is a way to, to see that. You know, given that you have done extensive reporting on APAC and the work that it does to influence elections in the U.S. and to ensure that President Biden does not call for a ceasefire, before we dive in, I just wonder what your thoughts are about the news that came out yesterday. I'm not sure you saw this. I just found it late last night. Uh, but you've got uh, 13 Jewish Congress members now calling for what they're calling a temporary ceasefire. They don't go into detail about what that means exactly, but they're calling for obviously a release of the hostages, an end to the violence and pervasive suffering in Gaza, more humanitarian aid for Gaza. I mean, has Biden at all even used the word ceasefire? Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. And, and, um, and it's also interesting to me, the idea that it's a group of Jewish, um, legislators. Uh, I think that there is, is, is very much a, a line of critique that comes out of APAC that if you're criticizing Israel or that you're criticizing APAC, you're anti-Semitic, anti-Israel, uh, you know, and, and, and I think that these legislators obviously see the value in, uh, coming together as as you know as Jewish Americans and saying you know uh, this is what we believe um, you know it's not like APAC can't still criticize them as anti-Semitic or or, or, or whatever they want to say but I think it does kind of a uh, muddy muddy the situation a little a little and and you know this idea that if you're if you're critical of Israel you're anti-Semitic I think it's um, you know, the stuff like this helps kind of uh, elucidate that uh, make clear that it's. Um, uh, the real, the, the truth is a little bit more complicated. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we'll see what happens next. I did see a piece from Politico where, you know, internally the Biden, uh, point of view is that the way he speaks about, uh, the conflict is actually more in line with, um, I guess, quote unquote, mainstream uh, point of view on it. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I'm sure internally that's what they may believe. But I think, you know, when you see stuff like this where it's, you know, it's, it's not like, um, you know, it's easy enough maybe to dismiss members of the squad or, or anyone who calls themselves a progressive or a far left uh, legislator. But when you have a group of, uh, I guess you could say, more centrist, um, you know, Jewish American legislators saying this, it just um, it just kind of uh, yeah elucidates where we're at. And the fact that, yeah, we're now months and months into this um, into this, you know, this barrage on Gaza um, and the idea that we're still, um, you know, that there's still legislators begging for a ceasefire. You know, it's um, it's. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's <laughs> it's harrowing. Well, and as as you, as you said, a, a lot of these legislators have not mentioned a ceasefire before this. I mean, mm-hmm. and I just searched because a few of these uh, Congress people I I'm not familiar with, and it looks like they're all Democrats. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, we're talking Dan Goldman, Jamie Raskin, uh, Representative Slotkin, Sherman, Phillips, Sh- uh, Schreier. Um, these people, as far as I know, have not called for a ceasefire before today, yeah. uh, last night. 
Yeah, that is interesting too. I mean, you know, nothing really has changed other than that more Palestinians have died. Um, you know, the uh, the um, assault has maintained consistency, you know, while there have been talks of, uh, you know, Israel shifting to a, a lesser intensity version of its um, of its attack, uh, you know, at the same time, there doesn't seem to be any uh, the, uh, you know, the number of uh, the the number of uh, dead in, in, in Gaza just seem to be going up. So uh, so I think it might just be a situation in which um, certain people that were hesitant to do that before. Um, are now realizing or at least um, deciding that um, that they can't wait any longer. The death toll it has almost reached 30,000, and we're going to talk more about that during our second segment. So, so let's dive in and find out more about your reporting. You were able to get your hands on internal documents, and as you report, that that is highly unusual. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, depending on people's knowledge of APAC, I think you, you probably are familiar with their general point of view and they've been influential for decades. Um, but, uh, only till only a few years ago, they created, um, PACs. Um, traditionally, they don't, um, donate directly to candidates, which means their, um, their donors are not, um, uh, 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 need to be disclosed, you know, per, you know, federal election disclosure laws. So, um, so historically, um, there, they had, uh, all this money that has not been, um, you know, the, the sources of it, uh, have not been publicly known. So, so this was, a yeah, in, in our point of view, kind of a rare look inside this organization. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think the, the, the fundamental thing I would say is that, you know, APEC itself, you know, wouldn't deny that it's, you know, it obviously is proud of its uh, ability to, um, shape American foreign policy. And, um, yeah, the idea that there's all these donors that exist to help APAC do what, do what it does and, and, and get to do that in anonymity. Um, I think there is, I think there is a value in, in, in saying their names, making clear who they are. And, um, and, um, yeah, I think they, they, at the very least, you know, should be responsible, right. For the um, influence that their money has. Can you tell us more about APAC for people who might not be that familiar with this group? How big is it? Who runs it? What are its end goals? Um, yeah, so uh, CEO is a fellow named uh, Howard Core, and uh, they are um, uh, th- their goal basically is to uh, support Israel uh, unilaterally. The idea is uh, the stated point of view is that it's 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 the best thing both for the U.S. and for Israel to have a relationship um, that is just totally um, uh, you know there's they like to use the phrase like there's no daylight between the two countries that they are completely on the same wavelength um, and uh, historically what that has meant recently is is um, uh, something like 3.8 billion dollars annually to aid to Israel um, and um, what they what they do um, is they uh, encourage uh, uh, basically a, a pro-Israel, I guess you could say, point of view by uh, arranging trips for legislators um, to Israel. Um, they um, are um, influential in in, in um, you know moving uh, donors towards certain candidates, um, and they um, yeah just created a um, kind of this you know momentum now uh, for decades where um, you are going to have more uh, financial support if you take certain uh, pro-Israel points of view. Um, and um, and then obviously since October 7th, they've been very active. Um, they've uh, they've um, obviously uh, backing Israel's uh, war, um, you know, fully um, uh, fighting a ceasefire. Um, and um, the idea, uh, again, is just that, you know, they stand with Israel no matter what. Um, they believe in 
Israel's um, rights to carry out this war, and they are doing all that they can to make sure that, yeah, there, there isn't uh, a momentum for a ceasefire. You write that in the 2022 election cycle for the first time, APAC launched two other entities to expand its political operations. One was a traditional political action committee, APAC-PAC, which can solicit an unlimited number of individual donations to pass on to candidates. And then they established an affiliated super PAC, the United Democracy Project, which can spend unlimited amounts of money to support or oppose a candidate in an election. And I I guess what's incredible when you look at the candidates they oppose and back is in this time, they're opposing progressive candidates that want to stop this war, which would return the hostages. Yeah. And it's one thing during the course of the reporting of my piece, um, uh, you know, we also um, uh, have in the piece, uh, basically, they have these uh, meetings that they have with donors, APAC donors, and they host speakers. And one of them, uh, one of the meetings was with um, Senator Gillibrand from New York. And she said, uh, you know, very explicitly that the hostages will not be returned other than um, other than through continued uh, military action, that a ceasefire will not lead to, to hostages being returned. And, uh, you know, that's in light of the fact that the only um, so the, the um, yeah, the, uh, the IDF has, has freed uh, has managed to free a few hostages in the course of, of, of its uh, war, the Israeli Defense Forces. Um, they've also um, uh, killed a few uh, in the course of their actions, um, uh, tragically. Um, and then, you know, something like over 100 were released during the uh, 10 day truce that occurred, I believe, in November. Uh, a 10 day pause in hostilities that occurred in November. So, you know, to say that a uh, ceasefire won't lead to hostage return, I think is like in light, uh, you know, st- kind of stands in contrast to the reality as objectively understood. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, um, there's, there's basically the talking points from APAC is, you know, they care about the hostages that they, they demand that Hamas will release the hostages, uh, you know, and, and then the war will stop. But, but that's not what's, you know, that's not reality, right? That's not what's happening. And so to say that you care about the hostages on one hand and to oppose a ceasefire on the other. Yeah, I mean, I think to a lot of people, um, that would be very confusing. We're speaking with Amos Barshad, a senior reporter for The Lever, a nonpartisan reader-supported investigative news outlet that holds accountable the people and corporations manipulating the levers of power. We're talking about his new piece called Inside the Israel Lobby's New $90 Million War Chest. The Lever got their hands on confidential internal documents, which showed some of the top donors Uh, to APAC. Can you just tell us who really stood out for you here? A a couple names. uh, Daniel Sundheim, founder of the investment firm D1 Capital Partners, pledged $2 million. Milton Cooper, executive chair of the real estate giant Kimco Realty, a million. Tony Resler, co-founder of the asset management firm Ayers and owner of the Atlanta Hawks, a million. Who else stood out for you? Um, yeah, I think that those names are, are, are super relevant and, and they kind of represent there was a lot of um, uh, members of yeah real estate, the industry, um, yeah, the private equity industry. Um, and the sums of money, are obviously, that you uh, just quoted there. Yeah, very large. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, go to show you that uh, there's an excess amount of money that exists in these industries that is going to um, 
is going to um, these uh, these going to Apex specifically in this case. Um, I mean, I think like uh, you know, there's the um, the the uh, another name that came up was um, Leonid Radvinsky, um, who is the owner of OnlyFans, the um, the uh, 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 platform, social media platform, content creator platform, you know, known to be super popular with sex workers. Um, uh, he, uh, according to our reporting, he uh, pledged eleven million dollars. Um, he denied, uh, he denied doing so. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, when we reached out to APAC for comment as well, they, um, you know, they, they, they didn't, um, they didn't specifically deny any of the, of the information in the piece. Um, so, um, so yeah, I mean, encourage people to go read, go read the site, levernews.com and, uh, and, uh, and check it out for themselves. You know, we lay it all out there and, uh, super clear as to our reporting process. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I think the idea, um, is really just that uh, a lot of these people can, um, operate, um, you know, in, in anonymity, right. They know when they donate to APAC directly to APAC, not those, um, those, um, uh, subsidiary groups that you mentioned earlier that they're doing so anonymously. And so they don't kind of want this information to be out there, um, they want to be able to influence, um, yeah, American foreign policy and to do so without having the, um, um, you know, for example, uh, one of the names mentioned, um, Judd Zaberski, uh, he is the uh, founder of the toy company Jazzwares, which makes um, a, a toy called Squishmallow that uh, people are very into. I think children and teens are really into it. Um, and uh, he, he previously, when he had um, expressed like pro-Israel sentiment, you know, there was backlash to that. So, you know, clearly there's the idea that they're trying to protect their business interests and they know that uh, expressing certain political views might not kind of jive with um with what their consumer base um are into so so yeah so so that's kind of why we um you know really found this to be a necessary piece to do because um yeah we just kind of just kind of feel that it is important um to um to have people take responsibility right for their for their actions or for what their money does one of the contributors that caught our attention is Representative David Trone, a Democrat from Maryland. He's the owner of a massive liquor store chain, and he's now running for U.S. Senate. According to your report, Trone has been an on-the-record APAC supporter for years. Trone pledged $100,000 last year. Is it legal for sitting members of Congress to give to organizations like APAC? How common is this? <laughs> Yeah, you know, that was a question that came up during the course of uh, my yeah, reporting. I remember uh, asking, uh, uh, discussing that internally. Um, yeah, our understanding that it is. And, um, he, um, yeah, he's, you know, basically, um, known to be a rich, a rich, you know, private, uh, individual before he entered politics and, um, you know, has used that money, um, to, um, to his ends now that he's in the political realm. Um, and he, um, yeah, he has expressed support for APAC has like made it clear that he donates to APAC. So, um, so, so that's, um, yeah. And, you know, we confirmed that with his, with a rep for his uh, campaign. So there's no, um, no confusion there at all. Um, but yeah, I, 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 uh, I think I share your sentiment as far as being surprised by that, being surprised by the idea that a, you know, sitting member of Congress, uh, donate to a, to a organization that is then like in turn, you know, looking to influence decisions made by Congress. Um, that seems at the very least a little, a little muddy to me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think there's a lot of names, um, in the list and yeah, I would encourage people to, to read the, read the piece <laughs> and, uh, and check it out for themselves. And, and there's also a lot of, um, kind of, uh, uh, to me, what was also interesting is the, 
uh, internal um, uh, meetings, basically donor only meetings that they host virtually and some of the tone and some of the um, conversation, basically, I guess you could say like the selling points, the pitch that they're, that they're, uh, you know, giving to their donors, um, you know, the, the point of view of this war as seen by APAC, right. It's very clear that they, um, have a point of view and what they're saying is that, you know, the IDF, the Israeli army is uh, attempting to mitigate civilian casualties, doing all that it can, you know, is going above and beyond. Um, there's a certain uh, point of view that is maybe removed from, yeah, our understanding of objective reporting uh, of the war. I want to ask you about another piece you wrote about a race involving Andy Levin. This is, was a fascinating piece. You write that every Democrat likely knows that supporting anything short of the full APAC line, uh, which currently equates to unwavering support of Israel's siege, means that in your election, you may be spent into the ground. So can you tell us what happened in Michigan's 11th Congressional District, which covers an area just north of Detroit? I think you did a really interesting job here looking at what happened to Congressman Andy Levin. Thank you. Yeah, um, that was a yeah, I really enjoyed doing that piece. And uh, yeah, Andy Levin um, is is a Jewish, Jewish American, and he actually um, is, you know, active in his community, was a, formerly a president of his synagogue, you know, calls himself pro-Israel. Um, but, uh, you know, his point of view on it is that he uh, believes in the protection of, you know, uh, civilian rights for Palestinians, uh, you know, believes in a two-state solution. You know, the way he says it is that he's kind was the mainstream, you know, before the mainstream shifted on him. Um, and I think it does go to show you that it's not like APAC is um, seeing its combatants as uh, someone who says, you know, oh, Israel shouldn't exist or something like that. Like this is a, a Jewish American uh, who calls himself pro-Israel and is, it was deemed to not be, you know, sufficiently pro-Israel, right? Like they 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 have their own definition of what that means. And currently it means um, abiding by the Israeli government's decisions no matter what. Um, which is, you know, really, really interesting and really, really complicated because, you know, the people inside Israel don't see it that way, right? There's been massive protests over the last uh, something like four or five years, you know, different waves of protests for different policy decisions um, uh, made by the Netanyahu government, uh, uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, and, you know, currently there's massive protest movements that are pushing for a, for a, a hostage deal, you know, but but for APAC, there's this idea that there's only one point of view on Israel, that the, you're either with us or against us, you know, that there's no, there can be no dissension, there can be no critique, there could be no um, alternative way of thinking about things or a spectrum of thought about this, you know, um, that if you are opposed to APAC, uh, then you are you know, effectively that you're anti-Semitic, uh, you know, and that's, and that's how it is. Even if you're, even if you're an Israeli, even if you're a Jewish American, uh, you know, that there can be no other critique of APAC other than the fact that you, um, that you are you know, acting in bad faith effectively. As, as you report in Andy Levin's race alone, APAC spent $3.9 million running ads bolstering his opponent, another 390000 on messages opposing Levin. One mailer said Andy Levin should be ashamed and blasted him for his alleged, quote, Republican style mudslinging against his opponent. The ads did not mention Israel. Yeah. So there's so many things going on here because people are so tired of the money flooding our politics, not knowing where these mailers are coming from. I mean, we just did a show about what's going on here in San Francisco with so much money flooding our politics. And so in this case, the same thing is happening and, and people are just tired of, of all of this money and it's just yeah. getting worse. 
And what, yeah, what you mentioned that, the, that, you know, the ads didn't mention Israel. I mean, I think that's super relevant. You know, the, this is not, uh, the voters in that race did not get a fair chance to actually have a conversation about what the, uh, candidates were representing because they, because APEC, um, spending all that money uh, running these mailers, presenting him as, as you know, as like you, like you just said, like a sort of in a, in a, as, a as more of a Republican, you know, this is not, uh, this is not the truth. This is not reality. And they didn't mention Israel because they um, were actually, you know, it's almost like a gamification or like a strategic, you know, uh, attempt to manipulate an election. No, again, not on good faith, not on the actual issues that are being discussed or that the APAC claims to care about. They came in and they spent money, you know, running ads, uh, you know, portraying him as, as someone who he wasn't um, and not even not even bringing up Israel because they knew that, you know, there was a chance that if they said, oh, Andy Levin is critical of Israel, that might actually get him votes, you know, who knows. But they, they you know, they made their decision based on that race and they spent money in a way that was, yeah, underhanded. You also report on grassroots activists forming a group called Jews for Andy, but in the end, Jews for Andy's scrappy efforts would not be nearly enough. Before APAC's money came in, Levin and his opponent were running head-to-head in the polls, and then on August 2nd, Election Day, his opponent... Uh, Stevens, I'm sorry, I cannot remember her first name. Can you uh, uh, Haley Stevens. Thank you. Haley Stevens actually crushed Levin by nearly 20 points. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, groups like uh, Juice Randy or any grassroots group, you know, it's um, they're operating the way that they can. That means speaking to people, you know, door to door, speaking to people at public events. You know, there's a finite number of people that, you know, can take time off work or, or or find time within you know within their schedules of their life to to do this um, but they're not doing it with a ton of money they're doing it you know i guess you could say old school or just kind of you know the the way that we maybe when we imagine politics how it's supposed to work just people talking to people um you know and it's um you know it's charming and and uh, i think pretty endearing especially like Again, that's the idea that they're saying, you know, they're Jews for Andy and they support Andy. You know, they don't think that uh, they don't think that Andy Levin should be deemed to be an enemy of the Jewish people uh, or whatever. However, APAC, uh, you know, perceives him to be. Um, and uh, and yeah, I think I think uh, looking at that, you know, it's uh, it's heartwarming uh, to a certain extent. But also, you know, like you said, the end result um, did not go their way. So, uh, you know, they aren't they they aren't the type of political entity that can that can influence elections um, the way we currently run them. And as you report, Andy Levin told Mehdi Hassan, who has since lost his job on MSNBC and is now a Guardian columnist, quote, APAC can't stand the idea that I am the clearest, strongest Jewish voice in Congress standing for a simple proposition. There's no way to have a secure democratic homeland for the Jewish people unless we achieve the political and human rights of the Palestinian people. That is it. Yeah, I think that's a super relevant quote and yeah, very well said by Andy Levin. Um, final thoughts before we let you go. Wh- where is your reporting taking you now? And I'll be curious to see how APAC responds to these 13 Democratic Jewish Congress members that are now calling for a temporary ceasefire. Again, I don't know what they mean by that. They didn't go into detail in their letter to President Biden, but it'll be interesting to see how APAC responds to that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know when they're all up for re-election or what their future plans are, but yeah, to look at that in a couple of years and say where they all ended up would be super interesting and to try to break down how and where money came in into their races. Yeah, I think that will be definitely uh, could be a great focus of uh, future reporting. Um, and yeah, and as for me, I'm not uh, not actively doing any APEC reporting Um Kind of going all over, uh, looking at uh, a bowling-related uh, piece, uh, actually, uh, randomly enough. But, uh, but uh, yeah, just started reporting that, so don't don't have too much to say about that. But other than bowling, is uh, is great. Well, thank you for your reporting, and I'm so glad that you and everyone at the Lever is doing such important reporting. We saw again really. Horrible layoffs at Vice are coming, hundreds of layoffs. So these layoffs just continue, and we're so glad to know that the lever is doing well. So thank you so much for joining us, and thanks for your reporting. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Amos Barshad is a senior reporter for The Lever. It's a nonpartisan, reader-supported investigative news outlet that holds accountable the people and corporations manipulating the levers of power. You can read his piece inside the Israel lobby's new $90 million war chest and the piece he wrote about Andy Levin's race. Really interesting to see what goes on behind the scenes and all of the money that pours into these races at yourcallradio.org. Coming up after a break, we will continue talking about what is happening in Israel and Gaza. Israel's assault on Gaza has killed nearly 30,000 Palestinians. This is Your Call. We'll be back after this.